and welcome to the Gloucester Vineyard Church weekly podcast. We're creating a community, but what kind of community? How should Gloucester Vineyard be a community which stands out in our city? This week, Daniel unpacks how we as a church are called to showcase our ability to disagree, inspired by the example of Jesus. He gives four values for us to keep in mind every time we find ourselves at odds with our fellow human beings. So without further ado, here we go. Okay, so a quick straw poll. Who here really likes standing out in a crowd? Raise your hand if you like to be the odd one out. If you like fe- the feeling of standing out for being different. Okay, I'm looking. I can't see any hands up. Now, that's either because none of you like being the odd one out or because you're not playing because you know this is pre-recorded. Can I just say, if you did put your hand up right there, thank you for playing along. You're an amazing human being. Either way, I think it's pr- pretty universal that it's an uncomfortable position to be in when we feel like the odd one out, then we feel like we stand out for being different. Now, I've had plenty of experience of this growing up. I grew up in a house with three sisters and three really girly sisters at that. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked to paint my nails, dress like a princess or play with Barbies. And I actually now still live in a house with girls and I still get asked to paint my nails, dress like a princess and play with dolls. Some things apparently never change. Uh, But it's not always comfortable to be the odd one out. In fact, it rarely is. It's one of the reasons why we as humans continually form little communities of people just like us, where we can feel safe, have a sense of belonging and meet other people like us. And in many ways, that's just what a church like ours is, a group of people gathered around our shared fascination with Jesus. But there's also a problem with being a church, and that is that the way that we're called to live, the way we're called to behave as a group, so often stands at odds with the world around us. Our values are so often different from the world around us. So when we start to exhibit the characteristics of Jesus, we actually end up standing out as a community. So rather than gathering together in order to fit in, in many ways, when we gather as a church, the whole idea is that we actually stand out even more as individuals and as a group. But we're not called to stand out just for the sake of it. And to a great extent, we're not really called to stand out to show the world how bad it is either. But rather, we as a church are called to stand out to be a display of God's goodness. So in our final two Zoom gatherings together, please Jesus, may this be the final two Zoom gatherings together, we are going to be looking at two ways that we as a community are called to stand out as radically different from the world around us in order to showcase the goodness of God. Now this week I'm going to be exploring how we are called to be a community who disagree with each other. That's right, we are called to be a community who disagrees with each other. Let me unpack what I mean by that. So I know that many of us over lockdown have been watching some brilliant and deeply challenging documentaries on Netflix. One of them was Cowspiracy or Seaspiracy, maybe you saw that one, or maybe you watched Our Planet with David Attenborough. All super challenging documentaries that leave us all with a deep conviction that we as individuals and as communities have an enormous responsibility to change the way we live in order to save the planet. But another one which I've watched which really, really impacted me was The Social Dilemma. And in this documentary, tech experts from around the world explain how social media networks like Facebook and Instagram work. They talk about kind of how they've become so popular and how they make all their money. And in a nutshell, they expose these clever little bits of computer code um, which Facebook and Instagram use, which learn from each user their preferences, the things they're interested in, and crucially, the things that they might want to buy. 
And these codes called algorithms, they learn, as they learn more about each user, they're better able to predict and provide each user with a bespoke newsfeed of things which appeal to them, which, let's face it, is really clever and is a really fantastic idea. A computer which learns about individuals and their likes and their dislikes and just gives them more of what they like and less of what they don't like. So if you're really into snowboarding, but you really dislike baking, you know, your feed's going to be full of snowboarding ads and no stories about how to decorate a cake. Um, you may have noticed this if you've ever been on someone else's Facebook page. Emily frequently comes onto my page and is like, why is there so many tractors on Facebook? It's because I really like tractors, so there's loads of tractors on my newsfeed. And these codes, they're designed to make Facebook and Instagram a better, more relevant place for its users. But along with all the benefits of creating a social network like this, there's been a whole load of unintended consequences that have come along for the ride. And that's what the social dilemma exposes. Go check out the documentary if you haven't already. Like, for, for example, the fact that people don't just use Facebook to check out snowboarding, and people don't just use Instagram for baking ideas. People use those platforms to research and express their social, political and religious views. And the danger comes when those clever little bits of code, those algorithms, learn my political leanings, my religious beliefs and my social leanings, and then the perfectly designed little codes just feed me a stream of stuff that I already agree with and neglect to show me the other side of the conversation, because that's not what I like. So now I find myself living in an echo chamber of my own opinions and not hearing anything else. And add to that that the more strongly I hold these beliefs, the more likely I am to buy stuff and use services advertised on Facebook, Facebook that are tailored to me. So in a real sense, um, it makes sense for Facebook's, from Facebook's perspective for me to hold stronger and more radical opinions and views. The more radical I am, the more I will consume. And Facebook is all about consumption. So Facebook will feed me more and more content that I already agree with in an effort to make me more and more radical. This is real-time social manipulation. It's really scary stuff. Go watch the documentary. But the most dangerous element, I think, is how this process of radicalization makes us think and behave towards our fellow human beings who disagree with us. Because each of us are only ever consuming opinions we agree with and therefore holding them stronger and stronger. And how, how are we then going to relate to with those who disagree with us? From our perspective, when we go on Facebook, we are overwhelmed with evidence that we're correct. And so when we encounter someone we disagree with, there's like a chasm of difference that's been dug between us, which makes conversation tricky and friendship almost impossible. I think the most dangerous expression of this has been in the recent emergence of cancel culture, which is where an individual, usually a celebrity, is effectively socially cancelled and excluded from the conversation because their opinion differs from the status quo. We saw it quite recently with J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling. Uh, she fell afoul of this when she voiced her opinions on transgender issues. What she said stood against the prevailing current and opinion, and she was effectively ostracised by those who were disagreeing with her. There's no conversation about what she'd said, just vilification. She just became the enemy. This is really dangerous. If we as a society lose the ability to speak to each other, to effectively disagree with each other, if we lose the ability to find common ground with each other, if we insist on making those we disagree with into our enemies, then our children are going to be growing up in a very scary world indeed. 
Check out this clip from The Social Dilemma and watch the graphs a couple of minutes in. Watch as the they're talking about the Republicans and the Democrats over in the United States and how over time they've become more and more opposed and their opinions have become more radical and how they've turned the other side into the enemy. And type in climate change is. You're going to see different results depending on where you live. In certain cities, you're going to see it autocomplete with climate change is a hoax. In other cases, you're going to see climate change is causing the destruction of nature. And that's a function not of what the truth is about climate change, but about where you happen to be Googling from and the particular things that Google knows about your interests. Even two friends who are so close to each other, who have almost the exact same set of friends, they think, you know, I'm going to news feeds on Facebook, I'll see the exact same set of updates. But it's not like that at all. They see completely different worlds because they're based on these computers calculating what's perfect for each of them. The way to think about it is it's 2.7 billion Truman shows. Each person has their own reality with their own facts. Why do you think that uh, Truman has never come close to discovering the true nature of his world until now? We accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. Over time, you have the false sense that everyone agrees with you because everyone in your newsfeed sounds just like you. And that once you're in that state, it turns out you're easily manipulated. The same way you would be manipulated by a magician. Magician shows you a card trick and says, pick a card, any card. What you don't realize was that they've done a setup. So you pick the card they want you to pick. And that's how Facebook works. Facebook sits there and says, hey, you pick your friends, you pick the links that you follow. But that's all nonsense. Just like the magician, Facebook is in charge of your newsfeed. We all simply are operating on a different set of facts. When that happens at scale, you're no longer able to reckon with or even consume information that contradicts with that worldview that you've created. That means we aren't actually being objective, constructive individuals. And then you look over at the other side. And you start to think, how can those people be so stupid? Look at all of this information that I'm constantly seeing. How are they not seeing that same information? And the answer is, they're not seeing that same information. What are Republicans like? People that don't have a clue. The Democrat Party is a crime syndicate, not a real political party. A huge new Pew Research Center study of 10,000 American adults finds us more divided than ever, with personal and political polarization at a 20-year high. You have more than a third of Republicans saying the Democratic Party is a threat to the nation, more than a quarter of Democrats saying the same thing about the Republican. Okay, so this is not a talk about the evils of Facebook. I've actually started using Facebook more since watching the documentary as I'm convinced that it can be used for good. No, I'm actually of the opinion that Facebook has served to supercharge a problem of polarisation that's already in our culture, that our culture is already struggling with. Now, this is a conversation about how we as the church are called to stand out from the crowd in the way that we relate to each other, especially when we disagree with each other. While the prevailing culture is finding it harder and harder to be in the same room as a person they disagree with, our role as the church is not to withdraw from culture and judge it from a distance, but rather our role is to bed into our culture and to unashamedly show a better way. And unsurprisingly, to find that better way, we're going to look at the example of Jesus. 
As a church, we've just finished reading the whole book of Matthew together. And one of the things you can't fail but notice when you read that book is that Jesus disagrees and confronts people all the time. He disagrees with his friends and his enemies alike. And I think there are things that we can learn from Jesus' example as we look to create a community which knows how to disagree with each other and still love each other. And this is something that we as a church need to work at. We don't just get this by osmosis. I'm sure we've all had experiences of disagreements within the church going sour or people being excluded because they didn't believe the right thing or behave the right way. So this morning, I want to really briefly unpack four values, which I think we as a church need to keep in mind when we find ourselves disagreeing with someone else. The first one is respect. Respect demands that when we meet someone we disagree with, or when a dear friend says something that stands at odds to the way that we think or feel or believe, the first thing we do is grant that person respect and dignity. Respect which says, I don't know your journey. I don't know how you've come to that conclusion. I don't agree with you, but I do love you and I will listen to you. I often find that when in conversation with people, when they start to say something I strongly disagree with, I tend to get these shutters coming down and my instinct, my instant reaction is to kind of want to distance myself from that person, to try and think of that person as other to me, to kind of protect myself. But respect demands that actually we lean in, that we listen in, that we try to understand, that we dignify that person with our attention and don't shut them out before a conversation can start. This is a consistent value of Jesus's. I could spend the rest of our time this morning just giving you example after example of Jesus granting people he disagrees with respect and a conversation. Go and read Jesus' conversation with a bloke called Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus was being a massive troll to try and catch Jesus out and they had fundamentally different theological views and yet Jesus respected him and listened to him. Or there's a really super famous story about Jesus chatting to a woman who was at a well and her lifestyle was totally at odds to Jesus' message. Her behaviour and choices that she had made had made them basically enemies and yet Jesus dignifies her with his respectful attention. And if you want to read that story, you can read it in John chapter 4. Whenever we meet anyone, especially if that person believes something we don't believe or behaves in a way we disagree with, the first thing we should always do following Jesus' example is grant them respect in order to have a conversation. The second value that we should hold in order to be a community which knows and shows a better way to disagree is to approach these situations with humility. Humility says, look, I don't agree with you, but I could be wrong. Humility says, I might not be in possession of all the facts. Humility says, I'm on a journey here and so are you. I don't have all of the answers and neither do you. Humility demands that we demote our opinions back into opinions. Facts and opinions look so similar. Ah, don't worry about it. Happens all the time. Ain't that the truth? Facts and opinions look so similar. And humility demands that we remember that our opinions are opinions. Now, of course, this can get tricky if we start to think about the kind of fundamental, foundational truths of our lives as opinions. So, like, if I start treating the fact that Father God loves me and thinks of me as his son, if I start treating that as my opinion, then I'm going to get into some trouble. 
But I'm talking here about the less foundational stuff. How do we vote? How, who do we associate with? Our opinions of others. How do we spend our time and money? What we eat, what we watch. These are the things in life that we can sometimes choose as our identities. And maybe we need to take a little bit of time to demote those identities in favour of that more foundational stuff about who God is and who he says we are. Now, we often mention a guy called Paul here on Sunday mornings. He was a really switched on guy who really knew what he was talking about when it came to Jesus and churches. And he gave this advice to a church he was writing to in Rome and giving them instructions about how they should behave towards each other. He said this, don't think of yourselves as better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. He's instructing them to conduct themselves with humility, not thinking they have all of the answers, but rather with respect, listening to each other and learning from each other. And the third value is perspective. And this one comes hand in hand with respect and humility, because respect demands that I listen to you and elevate your point of view. Humility demands that I don't take myself so seriously and demote some of my own facts into opinions. And perspective reminds us that actually both of us could be wrong. And it's only really God who has a fully rounded perspective on these things. When we remember that we're not God, something that Facebook would like us to make, like to make us think that actually we are, when we remember we're not God and that we don't actually know everything, it's a lot easier for us to approach our fellow human beings and our family in the church with respect and humility. But perspective is not about giving up on the quest for truth. It simply focuses our attention in the right direction. Rather than looking at you or me and setting our opinions against each other, we should be looking upwards and asking, what's God's perspective on this issue? I remember this was such a thing when we had the Brexit vote, because I'm sure we all know people on both sides of the debate, and I'm sure we were all part of some pretty heated conversations um, with people that we disagreed with. But how easy was it to get lost in the arguments and not consider, I wonder how heaven would vote on this issue? and not just assume that heaven would vote with me. I really, um, to, to really respect the other side, to humble ourselves to heaven's values, to ask if Jesus was to vote to leave or remain, which way would he lean? When we introduce heaven's perspective into our disagreements, it changes the landscape. Now, of course, it's not a magic bullet. It doesn't just, looking to heaven's perspective doesn't just squash all argument, but it does force us to think outside of ourselves and submit ourselves to a cause and a perspective larger than our own. Last week, I shared a couple of bits of Bible where Christians are described as sheep. Turns out that's one of the most popular biblical metaphors to describe God's people. And wise sheep follow their shepherd. Wise sheep submit to his greater perspective. And wise sheep trust the shepherd to lead all the sheep, even the ones who disagree with us. Foolish sheep set themselves up as shepherds. Foolish sheep try to go their own way and in pride find themselves getting lost. Guys, let's be wise sheep. Let's keep our eyes on our shepherd. And finally, as we look to answer the question, how do we disagree well? We need to be a community of courage who are not afraid to confront those we disagree with. Now, this is a tough one, or it can be. I know some of you guys absolutely love a bit of confrontation. I am one of them. And some of us absolutely hate it. 
Emily is one of those. One of the big lessons I have learned and keep learning as I learn how to be a pastor is that not everybody has the same capacity for confrontation as I do. But Jesus was not shy when it came to confronting people he disagreed with. Again, I refer you to the book of Matthew that we just read together. Go read chapter 23 and tell me that Jesus wasn't up for a bit of confrontation. I think as Christians we can often run away from confrontation in an effort to be loving towards people. But that was never Jesus' response. As a community and as individuals, we are called to confront the things we disagree with in both what we say and how we behave, but only after we've made sure that we're approaching that person with respect, humility and perspective. It's all too easy for us to either shut people down or go straight into confrontation, which is how the world conducts itself. We are called to follow the example of Jesus. We're called to do things better than that. So when our work colleague starts expressing those cringe-inducing comments about people of a different ethnicity, we're called to challenge them, as hard as it might be, with love and humility and respect to confront that person. Or when our fellow churchgoer expresses a difference in opinion about how, what the Bible says about people who are gay, it's as hard as it may be, we need to respect them, humble ourselves, remind ourselves that God is the only one with all the answers, and then encourage, have a conversation. At the end of the day, this takes wisdom, subtlety, and the help of the Holy Spirit to know how to confront people with courage. And we will get it wrong as often as we get it right. But as the world around us is getting confrontation all wrong at the moment, we need to show a better way, a way inspired by the love and example of Jesus. So to wrap all of this up, I was listening to a brilliant podcast recently, which uh, had one of my favourite human beings in it, the Archbishop Justin Welby. And he was asked how he could be the head of a global church, which holds such strongly differing opinions on life and theology within itself. And Justin's answer was just so powerful. He said, you know, we as the church are bound together by something far stronger than any disagreement which would look to tear us apart. And that is the love and example of Jesus. And that's all I really want us to go away with this morning, that we are creating a community whose primary guiding value is love for one another. And because we love one another, we can disagree with one another. This is not a comfortable thing for us to do. It's not an easy thing for us to do. When everything within us is screaming that we should push those with we disagree with away and out of our lives, we are called, inspired by the example of Jesus, to draw those people in in love. Jesus said this to his his apprentices, love one another, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And that's it. We're called to be a community who disagrees with each other. Now, my suspicion is that for each of us this morning, there'll be one of those values which is tripping us up, or maybe more than one. And as we move now into a time of worship and response, I just want each of us to bring that value before Father God and just have a chat with him about it. Maybe we need to say, Father God, I really struggle to respect those I disagree with. I find it so easy to just not engage with them or just confront them without loving them. Please help me to grow in respect. Or maybe we struggle with humility. Maybe we need to pray, Father God, please help me not to take myself so seriously and to remember that I don't have all of the answers. 
Maybe we need to ask for God's perspective on an issue that we're stuck on or disagreeing about. Maybe we need to pray that Father God would make us, make his uh, perspective clear to us or give us the strength and patience to learn to trust him and follow him as our shepherd. Or perhaps it's about learning to confront well. Perhaps we're afraid to confront those we disagree with. Maybe we need to pray, Father God, please help me to grow in the courage and wisdom to confront people well. Help me to grow in your love so that I can confront others. And when I'm doing so, I do it with the right heart. So guys, let's pray. Father God, as we enter a time of worship and response now, I just want to chat with you about the value that I'm struggling with the most when it comes to disagreeing with my fellow human beings. And guys, let's just take a moment right now to just name that in our hearts now, whether it's respect, humility, perspective or courage. And Father God, I pray that you would help me to grow in love for my fellow man. And Father God, we ask, would you form us into a community who know how to disagree well? Would you put us on display in this city as a community who knows how to love one another as you have loved us? Okay, that's all for this week. I hope that blessed you. If you enjoyed this message, then please do share it with a friend and consider subscribing to the podcast. If you'd like to get involved with what we're doing here in Gloucester, then all the details can be found on our website. It's gloucestervineyard.org.